Welcome to the Business of Being Healthy, where we are passionate about treating our health as good as we treat our wealth. Shelly Bryan here, and I am obsessed with sharing real life experiences and wisdom to help save you time, heartache, and money as you continue to grow personally and professionally. Twice a week, we push aside that BS to take massive intentional action. And I promise by tuning in, you will receive the straightforward talk you've been waiting for, filled with actionable steps that will inspire you to achieve the health and wealth you desire while you are building your empire. All right, today's episode is one that you're definitely going to want to stay to the end because my guest is someone that I met, oh gosh, just over a year ago in a local networking group here in Arizona, but someone that I have just absolutely, I kind of stood by the, by the wayside a little bit, just kind of watching, but has just incredibly impressed me time and time again. And it's not just with the business accolades. This is balancing mom life, being a wife. Also building a business, physical location, traveling for the business, like all of the things. So Jessica McFall with Naked Rebellion is our guest today. And you guys, this one is going to be so great. So Jessica, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you in in this capacity. In this capacity. Well, let's start off here because we met at the Foundress, which is a local networking group of female founders. You are one of the mentors in the group, Mm -hmm. but how has like networking community been important to, let's say not just your, your business, but like your development as, as a business owner? Well, I think that, um, you know, and well, first off, I'll say I am, I love the founders so much. I'm like their biggest cheerleader. If I'm like, if you could be the spokesperson, it might, I would love to be that. Mm-hmm. Um, I love it so much, but I, I think what's interesting for like you touched on community is like, it's the most important part of every business. Even if you are a tax accountant and you don't ever have to like sell a product or talk with a person community is the most important thing of, of all businesses and people don't realize how much they need it until they don't have it. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I, like I would rec- I would like char- encourage everyone to sign up for a group like that. If you can, you don't know what you're missing until you're there. I know that sometimes it feels hard to also like if something has a monthly fee and a, and a dues and kind of thing like that to, to justify some of that early stage of your business. But community is the most important part of any business. Like if you are trying to sell anything, push anything, if it's a service or a product or whatever you're doing, how do you know what your customer wants unless you're talking to them? And that's the best way to do it. So um, I think that you touched on it being that community is the most important thing of, of pretty much anything. And it's also like what my business has been built on. So I feel the luckiest to be able to to go somewhere once, if not twice a month, if I can get to the other meetings and talk to 150 customers, like it's incredible. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. No, I absolutely love it. Um, I am a huge fan too of the founders, but one of the things too, is like, even if you don't, and I just want to share this perspective for our listeners is even if you don't have something to sell, right. You know, Jessica is going to share about a physical product that she has, but even if it's a service, even if you are just wanting to get immersed in your community a little bit more, finding the right group can be an incredible resource for you. So like for me, I have found, you know, stylists, I have found community members that I've been able to work with, uh, jewelers, 
um, shapewear or not shapewear, but a different all shades undergarments. I have been able to yeah. find so many different ways to not only like make myself feel better, but also support those around me. And so I think it's like a two-way street, like going in as a business owner, being like, I have all these customers that I can get immediate feedback with, and they are going to team with me and help me build. But it's also like, I want to be able to pour in the community and I don't know where to get started. Let me go meet all these incredible people. And I'm just going to, I'm going to support their businesses like crazy. So it's such a fun place and it can be scary. Like you said, it can be like, what? Holy cow, walking in. Um, You know, I've recently been joining a few commercial real estate ones because of our construction company. And I'm walking, I know no one. And it's like that feeling. I'm like, here's that feeling again. But I can't wait to see who I can connect with and create that community in a niche specific industry. So awesome. Yeah. 10 out of 10 recommend. 10 out of 10. Now, Take us back a little bit because you have such a unique and fun story and it's ones of twists and turns. It's not like the linear path that you were on. And I think with business ownership and entrepreneurship can look so pretty and fancy. And I love your story because while we're in such a cool spot right now, it, it wasn't always pretty and fancy to get here. No, not at all. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's been a really wild journey. Um, so my background and my life before just being an entrepreneur, um, I went to fashion school and I became a costume designer. So I worked at film and TV on all sorts of different projects. Um, and I started that in like 2004. Started doing that. So it's been a while, almost 20 years now. And um, we're living in LA and I early on in my career, I was starting to work for like a big costume designer. And it was like one of those moments of like, I've made it like I am in my twenties. Like, are you joking me? We're working with an Emmy nominated costume designer. Like I'm amazing doing all the great things, right? Like how lucky am I? And um, making all these really cool, like sexy, fun costumes. And she's like, "Um, will you go to the store and buy bras for everybody that's coming in for the fittings? And I was like, stupid, but sure. Right. So go to Macy's, buy the bras that are at Macy's and come back for the fitting and all the producers, all the creatives, all the everybody important is in this fitting too. So I'm waiting for the talent to arrive. And so in walks this talent and it's a dance troupe of the most beautiful women you've ever seen from Africa. And they're gorgeous and like seven feet tall. And you're like, I want to be you. And everyone's like talking about how amazing they are. And then I look in my hands and it's these bras that I just bought and they are what Macy's calls nude but it's like beige. It's not even a skin color. It's like the color of like a dead zombie. Like this isn't a human being. Why are we calling this nude? And that's the bras they had to wear. So they have these like amazing, sexy kind of see-through costumes. And then they have these like gray boobs. So that's all you can see. And the producers are insanely pissed and it's terrible. And I got fired on the spot for what I bought at Macy's, but there was nothing else to buy. And it was like a light bulb moment. And I was like, if I'm having this problem, then absolutely everybody's having this problem. Like I was floored, right? Like I can't not know it now. Like when you realize like how terrible something is, you can't just like walk away from it ever again. So at that time I was dating my boyfriend, who's now my husband and my co-founder of this company. And, um, we were kind of talking about like, what are, like, can you believe this happens? Like the, the systemic racism of a bra and like how women are pitted against each other and all this stuff. 
And he's like, yeah, well, one of the most racist products on the, on the planet's a Band-Aid. And he went into this like whole, like senior thesis feeling of what happened to Kevin Garnett in one of the NBA finals. I can't recall the year of it, but it was in the NBA finals and he got like this huge gash on his forehead. And, um, the trainer like went to the bag and pulled out this, like basically the color of my hat, this like Caucasian flesh toned bandaid. And it's over the entire front of his forehead. And he played the entire NBA finals game like that. And it was just like, we have to do better. Like how can we do better? So anyways, there's a long, very long uh, story of how it got started. And that was almost 17 years ago. So it took a long time to get to finally 2019. Um, well, I, I'm skipping a little bit, but um, it, the next few jobs I had costume design, um, I used to work on Dancing with the Stars. And so we would take a power mesh fabric and we would custom dye it to everybody's skin tone. And that's what all the dance costumes were built on so that I knew that they wouldn't have a nip slip or like, you know, it's a live show. You can't have the costume malfunction. So they would have these great costumes that fit their body. And so I was like, oh my God, I know how to make it. I know what fabric to use. I know it can be custom dyed to skin tones. I know it's supportive and you don't have to have underwear bras and all the stuff we hate in a bra. So it was kind of like this collection of like these life moments of, okay, I know the problem. Okay, now I know, now I know the material. Okay, how do we do this? Um, and um, then we moved to Baltimore where I was the costume designer on House of Cards. And when that show was over, we just had our second child and my husband and I looked at each other and we were like, are we going to LA where we're going to have nannies and never see each other and have people raise our family? Or are we going to try something else? And he was obsessed with Arizona and that's where I'm from. And I kind of was like, never again, I'll never live there again. Um, but he championed it pretty hard. And so we came back here and I said, all right, I'll give it a year and I will try my hardest with all the stuff that we're doing here. And that's when we launched Naked Rebellion and it was the best decision as a family for us. And so we launched in 2019 and we've had our nine different nude shades that we launched with. We launched with a fashion show and no product, which is highly not what I recommend anybody doing. It's a little bit backwards, but, um, it was pretty crazy, this crazy journey to, to say, and I'll jump forward a little bit in the story, but I'm really happy to say that now Macy's sells our bras. So the same Macy's that fired me now sells all of these bras for what they didn't have 15 years ago. Well, isn't that full circle? I mean, literally <laughs> full circle. Um, right. I heard a, I heard a similar story with someone else recently with like an Oprah thing and it was, it's just so crazy. And there's two things I want to point out here is first I, I, I have to ask you, because when you said, when you were on that, on that set and like, you were like, I made it, I'm here, I'm doing this. Right. Is that kind of when you went to, you know, design school, I imagine. Right. Is that always yeah. like, was that, was that kind of the, the goal pinnacle that you were always aspiring to be at? Well, it's a, it's a really good question. I kind of have always asked myself that too. Like, what is it that I wanted? I mean, I think I grew up a kid of the eighties and nineties where like a music video was like the epitome of like creativity and expression and like what was new and, and fun. So I think that I felt that that was like a way to be an artist and a creative and make money. I like, I was a fine art painter for all of like high school and into beginning of college, but I was always told that you never can make money that way. So it was also like, it, I was told to not go that route. So it was like, well, how do I stay true to who I am and, and do it? So like, I don't know that the pinnacle for me was like to make 
costumes and be this like Emmy winning costume designer. I think that's kind of like when I put out my creativity into the universe, it was kind of like the universe was like, well, no, you'll be really good at this and let's go. Um, So I'm very lucky that that was kind of like the career path that I went down. I feel very good at it and I really did love it, but I didn't like, I wasn't like a six-year-old being like, I'm gonna make costumes, you know, it just kind of was where it was. Um, And yeah, it was, it's been a really, it was a really cool job and I had to learn to be really quick on my feet and jobs would be sometimes two weeks and sometimes six years. Like you never kind of knew. So I think that also helped me be a really good entrepreneur is like, always growing up or always working through like a gig economy ish world. But yet it was, how do you put 400 creatives on a product and make them create in a box that like makes sense. So I, you know, I I think it gave me a lot of really important skills to keep going. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, really the, the, you brought up so many great points there, but the reason I asked that question is because I feel like so often we can Right. And you were told like, you can't earn money or make money in fine arts. Like you can't like, we're kind of like, we have these like different words and things coming at us. Like, Hey, here's, here's your path. Here's the way that you go. And then you get there and it was taken from you. Right. Like you, it was like, Hey, you're fired done. And I'm, you made it sound so eloquent that you just were like, okay, then I transitioned here and then I transitioned here. But I got to imagine that was a little bit of a gut punch. You were like, wait a minute. I just got let go for a problem yeah. that there is no solution period right. I mean it's it's like wild right and to be I was in my early 20s like how how is it possible like how is how is how are we in this world and it, living like that and being told that that your body isn't accepted or isn't something that's saleable or isn't something that's desired like that all the subliminal messaging that happens in there and I was like no way. Right. I just got fired. Like I'm supposed to be having this like great life. Like if you're in your twenties, you're in LA, all these things. And it was like everything crashing down. Yeah. It was, it was a wild time. Now I, I am at, I mean, oh my gosh. Yeah. I can only imagine how wild, especially in LA, but you, that also like builds up this like resilience muscle, right. That I feel like you kind of leaned a little bit and and spoke to your like entrepreneurship, right. Is because you were kind of always in that gig economy. Like you were strengthening that muscle. It seems like your whole career to get to this point. And that one, I mean, picking yourself up after that, it's like, holy cow, where, where am I supposed to go now? So yeah, well, totally, totally. When, when you have found those kind of like gig stop, let's say, or you hit a roadblock in whatever you were creating. Was there anything that kind of helped you navigate that or move around it to keep going? Well, I mean, I I grew up with an entrepreneurial father. So I think I saw a lot of like what people would call failures, just like as part of our everyday. Mm -hmm. So it was never like phrased or like viewed as something was this like detrimental end of whatever, like everything is figure outable. And that was just kind of like how I was raised. And that's definitely my mentality and all of it. So I think we all put like way too much pressure on everything. So being like calling things failures, it just sounds so obsolete. Like, I think I, I, people are always like, well, you know, as a kid, they'd be like, what's your favorite color? I could never answer the question because it felt so final to me. Like, mm. I, I like all of them. They're all fine. Like, it just, I know I don't like obsoletes. I don't like the, like, everything has to be black or white. Like, I kind of 
it's all figure outable. So I think just having that mentality of it's not a failure doesn't mean it's over. It just means like you learned something. And that's, I think just the mentality that's gone forward. I also will, will say that it um, says a lot about, you know, this all happened with my boyfriend who's not my husband. Like the choosing of a partnership, be it romantic or a friendship or a community or whatever, like having this like safe place to land has, was the most amazing thing ever. I mean, I could have come home and him been like, we'll go get a nothing job. Right. Like that could have been the response. Not that that's him by any means, but you know, to, to, to have what happened become like a conversation point And then for us to tend to, to acknowledge it and to us to act on it. I mean, that just says a whole lot about like choosing your partners, um, romantic or otherwise. But that for me was like, you know, I had a very safe landing place and someone that was like idea, let's go. And I, you know, I'm forever grateful for that. So real quick, before we dive into the show, I wanted to share that I'm working on my social media presence by focusing on Instagram and LinkedIn. Definitely still learning the LinkedIn game, but it's actually a lot more enjoyable and I can say it's pretty fun. But I can tell you what I love the most is connecting and learning from other like-minded professionals. So if we aren't connected on either platform, I would love to learn more about you and connect together. Go ahead, shoot me a DM, follow me, tag me, let's connect. Let's have some fun elevating our health while we are building our wealth. I I could not agree more. I mean, as you know, I work with Chris too, and it's, I don't, I don't think that we could be where we are without number one, each other, but two, Mm -hmm. it's like all those lessons, all of those lessons. And one thing for me, I love it because like failures, I used to like almost wear it like a badge. Like, yeah, I failed again. Right. Like I'm a risk taker. I can go do all these things. And after a while that like failure, like label, it kind of weighs on you. Right. Yeah. And so being able to like reframe it as a lesson, it's like, what did I learn? And really big in the last 18 months is like, did I re- learn the right lesson? Cause there's a few times I ended up in the Valley again. And I'm like, I didn't learn the right lesson. I'm here again. And yeah. partnerships was one of those, um, business partnerships outside, you know, my marriage. And it's, it's a tough, tough give. Have you ever had a business partner besides you two? at all? Uh, not like a, not like an on paper equity owner partner, but we've had like, uh, people that have been hired in our business that had a lot on their plate that we relied on very heavily that ended terribly. And it's like the hardest thing to ever stomach. Yeah. Yeah. Those are never good. And it's like, you want to outsource. I'm, I'm, we're in a point right that like right now with that, And it's like letting go of that control because there have been those times where you get bit and you're like, okay, again, what am I going to learn this time to do it differently? So that maybe the bite isn't, isn't as bad the next time that it falls. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, it's, it's hard. It's the, it's the lesson that always keeps learning, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You realize, okay, and yeah, now I need to have a better contractor. Okay. Now like whatever is written needs to be really clean, like ironed out more like it's again yes it was like a really terrible like shock to the system when when the that ended but it was like, like okay well now we know how to be better on this front so like again it's a, not a failure it was a lesson did it hurt absolutely but 
again, it's like not this like end all be all that can break you. It's just a lesson. It's just a lesson. It's just another lesson. And I know with having a product, you have a product-based business. There's probably so many lessons on the daily for you. And I know that like out there, there's a lot of service. There's a lot of service oriented out there, but now you have this product and it's been really neat being able to watch. I, I highly recommend everyone follow Naked Rebellion, but being able to watch everything from being totally online to now you have a physical location to I'm getting emails from well-known real retailers. And it's like promoting naked rebel. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's just, this is ridiculous. So take us through a, a little bit because product is so different from service. And yeah. maybe let's even talk like, like, um, wholesaling how you kind of begin that, because I know in other, in, in, especially in the group that we're connected together in the wholesaling comes up a lot. So how can we help Mm -hmm. someone that has a a product when they want to increase their wholesale business? Yeah. Well, what the case, so the first thing I want to touch on is that you said product and service are so different as I don't think that they are. Yes. Like maybe getting to like the initial offering, there's a lot more steps when it comes to product, but every bit of experience you have at every touch point of my brand is a service, right? Like what happens when you get a package, when you touch it, when you feel it, what does it feel like when it's on your body? Like that, what you do when you talk to a sales girl or me is the service I'm giving you, right? Like you are subscribing to our culture, to our community, to what we offer as a small business. So yes, like the launch up to a product is very different than like being able to offer your services right away. But at the end, like and a service, if you're offering that you're delivering a product, right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm wanting this tangible feeling or, or tax service or whatever service you're giving me, right? There's still something tangible at it. So you are delivering a product. So sometimes I, I, I see people like, Oh, I'm not going to listen to that bit of advice or read that book. Cause it's more product-based, but like at the end of the day, we're all really doing a very similar experience for our customer, but what goes into it up front, in my opinion, is just the, the difference there. So, um, but yeah, so like getting to your MVP, which is your most valuable product, like in all the development is a wild time for, for a product-based person. And it's very expensive. Nobody realizes how much, how expensive it is to get to the launch. I think everyone really underestimates that working with a factory is very expensive, very hard, especially if it's domestic or overseas. And then there's language barriers, basically language barriers, no matter where you can, if you, wherever you manufacture domestic or international. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's an interesting, um, navigation, right? Cause like, yes, you have these like things that in your head that you want to do or make, and then how do you translate that to be in someone else's he- head and then out of their hands, how can they make it? So it's a, it's a cool thing. So once, once you get through that process, which there's a lot of handholding and you have to have really good partnerships with factories and suppliers and stuff to get there. Um, then it's like, okay, I have this product who's going to sell it. And wholesale is a very, very wild world. Um, to give some like actual, like tangible things to walk away from it, from our conversation for someone that was looking into wholesale. Um, some advice that we were given was if you go, you have to go to the wholesale shows, right? That's where we've had the most success. Um, 
well, maybe that's step two. Step one, I would say, see what's local around you, right? If, if we did lingerie, we have bras and underwear. So I was like, well, why don't we find some lingerie places that are local and see if we can pop up there? And maybe they don't even place to order. Maybe we do a trunk show and see if they want to buy it. Like find where you think your customer is and work, talk with that small business owner. They're usually going to say yes. A boutique always wants an, an experience, in-store experience. So they'll probably say yes to you pop up, get as much customer data as you can talk to your customers, see what they try on, get their fit notes, see all that. Um, so we did start there. We, we had a couple of places here locally that we would be able to do pop-ups from and that kind of thing. And then we kind of, my husband and I sat and like looked at the numbers of like, what does it look like if we open a store well, that means a lot more salespeople and salaries. So we don't have money for that. So what can we do just us that can grow the business? So for wholesale, that was like the answer for us because I would be the one physically going or traveling or doing the talking, but I could bring in 10 accounts on my own and we could still figure out how to package and sell them. So it that was kind of why we leaned really heavily into it because we didn't, we felt that it was, uh, an easier route without having to raise money for us to get started. So we would figure out whatever wholesale shows are like to whatever product you're selling. If you're in the toy business, there's like a toy wholesale show. There's for any bit of like fashion or jewelry or boutique stuff there. Magic is one of the biggest ones in Vegas. And they think they're also now in Nashville. And I think they have a, they have a New York and I think they're doing a Miami too, which is also crazy. Then if you're swimwear, there's that thing that's usually in Miami. So lingerie is a, there's a very lingerie specific wholesale show and um, booths are expensive. It's probably going to for sure cost you between three and $6,000 just to go to pay for your booth. Then you have to go, right. Then you have to have samples to go with. So like, it's not a, it's not a, a cheap experience, but um that was kind of the journey into to all of it. Another bit of advice we were giving was that once you start showing up to those wholesale shows, no one's going to place an order on your first time, which is like a gut punch. But the, you have to also think of it like a buyer, which is what they are for these big buyers. They need to know that you're going to still be a brand, that you're still going to be in business, right? So they're not going to place these like, $30,000 orders for all of your products if you've never actually produced before. So they want to keep keep seeing you show up. So half of the battle is scra scraping together all the cash you have to buy the booth and keep showing up and keep showing up. And so that's what we've done. And so we've shown up to these, we've done the boutique ones, magic, we've done the lingerie specific ones. Um, and as we keep showing up, then they trust us more. And that's how we've landed all of the bigger ones at those shows. So I, what I really love and just bringing it back, thanks so much for sharing that because I feel like it's like wholesale. There's so much, you could probably write textbooks on it, Jess, I'm sure. But yeah. what I loved is like, even taking it back to the beginning was like making it a business decision, right? Cause there, it's not like you had teams upon teams to be able to go and sell and do all of this. It was like, okay, where can we get the most bang for the buck? Where can we get the most leverage for our time and expertise? And so that's why I think, um, cause that even to your point earlier about service, you're, you're 100% right. And I appreciate that you said that about like service or product. It's still 
service. There's still mm-hmm. a huge service element to it. And I have a fun story I'll share with that, but that you triggered, you triggered my memory on, but it's it, just because I, it's, it's not like you initially thought like, oh, well, wholesale is where I'm going to go. Like period done. That's what X, Y, and Z did. You have to like stop back, step back and like, look what is best for you guys at that point. Right. Because you didn't have a physical store. You did all the wholesale, but guess what? Now you have the physical store. So just because things didn't always, and I think this is kind of like a, a trend with you, like things don't always, you know, line out here you know, this is the next step. This is step two, step three. It's like, you're going to go one to four back to two, and then maybe to seven, and then you might fall back to four, you know, again. So it's, it's taking those steps, but making smart business decisions. That's one thing that if I were looking back at some of the business decisions that I've made in the past, they were very, um, outside driven and not analytical driven. And that's one thing. That's one lesson. One lesson, Jess, that I definitely learned. Just, um, just one early on, right? Oh God. Yeah. They're daily. Trust me. Yeah. Um, well, it's but, important too, right? Like, sorry, not to interrupt you, but it's oh, like oh. people that start like a brand, if it's a t-shirt brand or a handbag or whatever it is, you're like, yeah, I want to sell to the people, but like, okay, people can buy stuff on Instagram. Do you know how much that costs? Like, yes, Instagram is free, right? You can have your profile and use all those free tools that you can, but like to to make it through the noise. Like if you don't have $10,000 to spend in ads in on those channels, you're not going to go anywhere. You're just wasting money. So for us, it was like, we don't have, we didn't have a choice, right? Like, are we going to try to raise money back then to push ads that we a product? We don't even know what people want, or are we going to go and physically like do the work ourselves and like figure it out? And so that was like the main business decision driving all of it. Yeah. Yeah. But like, look at where it's got you, you know, I mean, and, and I think I would actually love for you to share, because this is one thing that I I think that there is a lot of strategic decision in business, but sometimes there's a little luck and it's not for, for me, it's not about like sitting in a corner saying affirmations and like everything magically happens. It's a mix of mat of action, right? It's like actual intentional action. And if you would share the story, you were at a wholesale, it was you two there and you wanted Macy's as a client. Like you were like, they are going to buy. Do you- well, almost. It- I wanted, I, I wanted Bloomingdale's. Bloomingdale's. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Bloomingdale's. So, Bloomingdale's. Like when, you know, when you would kind of sit down and be like, who was your ideal customer? And like, who is that avatar as you do that type of business work of like, what do they look like? Where do they shop? For me, it always felt like a Bloomingdale's character. Like that was her, that was our customer. It's a little bit elevated. Um, I feel it's similar to Nordstrom for those that don't have a Bloomingdale's there's LA and New York. I think there's some in Chicago. Um, but if it's a little bit elevated, it feels cool. Like it's a very cool girl store. Um, they take a chance on smaller brands too, but it also like strategically business-wise, they don't have 500 stores. So for me, Bloomingdale's felt like what I wanted to manifest because they only had like seven stores. So it felt like if that buyer came to us, I could fill that order and it wouldn't like stretch my resources too big. Whereas like if Macy's were to come first, they've got 400 stores. Holy God, where would you even go? How could I even have the, like, feel confident enough in my, in me and my business to make that choice. So, um, yeah, Bloomingdale's is what I manifested. And we like went to New York and I was like, we are going to get Bloomingdale's. And I'm like, that's how this works, right? You're supposed to manifest and things show up. 
And we're on like day three of this conference. And it's like this wholesale show. And again, like people will come talk to you, but I didn't have any orders. And it was like, why are we doing this? This is our third year. Like, come on. And my, my husband, Jay was also there and he, he attends a lot of the like seminars and stuff. And I tend to man the booth is kind of how we distribute those. And so he was texting me like, how's it going? And I'm like, you know what, this maybe New York just isn't our, our trip. It's, it's fine. Right. Like we'll figure it out. I'm like, but I'm a little bit bummed. And then this, as I'm texting him, this lady's like going through the rack and kind of looking at stuff and grabbing it and like not saying anything to me. And also it's a weird thing like to step back for a second to have like you to selling to a customer versus selling to a buyer is very different. So like a customer, you're like, Oh, hi, this is our story. And here's this. And I can talk to a lot to you. And I, you need to know a lot of information for you to like, before you can try it on. Whereas a buyer is like, don't talk to me. I understand what this is, but I have to figure out what's the floor space. How much is this? How many, how much volume do I actually have? What else did I just buy? Like a buyer is going through all these like business conversations. So like, you don't really talk a whole lot to them. Like you answer questions. You don't really like, anyway, so I was trying to like navigate how to, how to talk to this person and she's going through and she was like, okay, um, how long have you been in business? I was like three years at that time. It was three years. And she was like, do you have any big retail partnerships yet? And I was like, no, not yet. And she goes, I think you'd be the right fit. And she hands me your card and it's Macy's. And I was like what happened so literally in that moment of me being like I don't think New York's her thing and then like three minutes later I send a text of just her business card and my husband's like what is happening like are you kidding me (laughs) so anyways we are very excited and we send some follow-up emails and we start chatting with them and um going through like the process and the onboarding and they send me the contract to get it up and it says Macy's Bloomingdale's company and I was like I got Bloomingdale's are you kidding me like that I manifested it I guess like that's what we said so and that it's a very funny like you know manifestation is wonderful right it helps you in that mindset but like luck is just preparedness right like that's all it was I showed up just kept going we just didn't say no yes I, I could have like walked out of there and been like this is crap and left right but I sat in that booth was persistent and prepared and that is how it showed up It's such a great story. I wanted you to share that because I know, I know personally, and I know that the listeners out there, because it's not even just your business. Like, let's say you're in a career and you're trying to go for that promotion. You're like, maybe it's just not me. Maybe I, I'm just not the person is like being prepared and showing up. It is about action. You can manifest, 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 but while you're doing it, you got to be taking that intentional action. And if you had been like, F this, I'm out. Jay, come meet me. We're going to, you know, we'll pack it up and and head home again from New York, no orders. Right. But you stayed there. You were diligent. You showed up and you literally got Bloomingdale's, which was incredible. Yeah. It was awesome. Incredible. So, okay. So now let's, let's kind of like shift gears a little bit because now you have this huge account and you're like, okay, well, I wanted Bloomingdale's and now we got Macy's. So I didn't get like the seven stores. I got like the 400, like how, you know, because resources can be hard, right. In managing yeah. your resources. And I think specifically with product, because it's like how much inventory you can't guarantee like, okay, this is the color. This is the, the, this is the size. This is the everything. I mean, you have data to help 
you know, make decisions, but what were some of the things that you did when, once you started getting kind of these larger wholesale or wholesale accounts when it came to inventory and resource management? Yeah. Well, you know, they, they want us to, to come with some of the data that we had. So for the, the larger wholesale orders, you know, it's very scary. There's lots of like, when you, when you have a PO from those places, yes, like that is what banks look for, for that, the money to come through, to be able to do it. It's called factoring or it's called getting a loan, whatever. That's kind of like the bigger, like business side of it. Um, but also like those big orders can absolutely sink your company. Like there's chargebacks, there's discounts, there's all these things that like could absolutely sink you. So we were very scared and to be very frank, kind of still are about a multi-store order like that. We are lucky in that we kind of approached it and kind of asked them if we could just drop ship first because it was taking no financial risk on our company. So what that means is like our websites communicate. So we sell online and we get to see the customer data that they get to collect and we get to collect of where do these people live? What products are they wanting to buy from us? And so like they can, can kind of map what stores to get us into first. So um, it's been a really incredible business mindset for us because we haven't had to like really do any extra add-ons. We just um, kind of sell what we already have and like keep the business flowing. So it just has upped our sales, our monthly revenue a ton, as opposed to like having these big, scary things. Don't get me wrong. A big PO is lovely when you get to like get that big cash cow and be able to do a big production run. So that is what's next. And that's what we're hoping for. So we have both, right? We have the bigger accounts that we do get POs from, and then we ship like 50,000 units at a time. But these ones are like the slow trickles and just keep your bottom line up, which I really love. Well, it's a great way to minimize risk, right? Totally. Or, you know, I guess I shouldn't even say minimize, but manage risk. You know, yeah. I think a lot of business is just managing risk and, and how much you want to do, you know, and one thing that I just want to point out there, because I don't think I've actually ever heard this be talked about, but Often when you get that big contract, right? You're like, oh, oh my gosh. And you're like, holy cow, like this is my dream client or my dream, you know, account is we can be like, yes, yes, we'll do that. Yes, we'll do that. We'll agree to things even when we know like, holy cow, this is putting me, this is like putting me in way too much risk where I love that you actually were like, hey, this is how we want to do it. You came to them. I don't know that often. I mean, I could think back to actually even certain times in our construction company that we said, yes, we delivered, but man, it was tough to where now yeah. it's like, Hey, this contract is two way. So like yeah. we, there are going to be responsibilities on you responsibilities on us, but we have to come together. And it took, uh, it took experience for us to be like, Oh, well, that was a bad choice. Let's redo that. You know, next time we're put in that oh, situation right. How did you know walking in there that you were going to kind of negotiate that contract to basically manage your risk or did they offer it? Did you have someone help you with that insight? I, I think that they, they, she knew when she saw like the size of our business, that that was the smartest choice for both parties. Mm -hmm. I was, I'm happy that they have also navigated some of those contracts with other small brands, right. To figure that out. Um, I also feel like, you know, for our brand, 
going to like a smaller boutique or so or, or anyone bigger, I guess, wh- whoever it is, is the buyer. You buying one shade from me to stock in your store does no one any good because the point that doesn't solve the problem that we solved together. So it's also a, a big learning curve of like, okay, well, we want to be inclusive and we want to have all this stuff, but oh my God, you have so many SKUs. Where do we start? So it's a really easy entry into us to be, to be the yes brand for them, right? Like they get to have all of their shades. They get to have all their sizes. They get to be inclusive. And we get to say every single one of our things is on this major retailer and it doesn't hurt the integrity of our brand whatsoever. So I think that was just like a really important part of our negotiation. Um, some of the other, like the bigger POs that then they carry in their store, we kind of mandate that they have to buy at least five shades. Um, at least, I mean, sometimes we'll say three, but it's still, that's not inclusive, right? So we have been able to kind of help negotiate based on data, based on other stores and stuff kind of to, to get that going. But it's just a, the number one important thing is the integrity of our brand. And that if we say we're inclusive, we the offerings need to be inclusive. We can't just like toot the horn and then have one shade there. That's what they've done forever. So this is drop shipping for us is the easiest way for us to kind of disrupt the industry as a whole. Otherwise they don't want to take the risk on buying all of our SKUs. Well, and I just love it. It's, it's a mutually beneficial, like, um, kind of value that you have, right. They may not understand it right off the first point because they just want to have their couple SKUs and they want to do reduce your risk. But ultimately I love that you're standing your ground being like, wait a minute, like, no, 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 you need at least five shades. Like we have seven, but you need at least five to be able to say like you're inclusive. And I think that's incredibly important. Have you met some like pushback with that as far as like, we don't care or anything like that? Yes. I mean, mostly when it comes to the smaller boutiques, just purely when it comes to funds for them, right? Like Mm -hmm. these, these fashion boutiques that sell dresses and blouses and shoes are like, well, I'm not going to carry all of your nine shades. It's just not possible. We're not the same kind of, kind of product. So, um, and that was really why it was important for us to open our storefront too, because it's important to see it all on one, so excuse me, on one wall, like hanging together. Like it's important to see the inclusivities. It's never been represented before in the store. Um, you know, you've never been able to touch and see and feel and see every single size hanging. You know, a lot of times like a plus size customer, they only get to shop online. There isn't a store they get to walk into and buy something. And that's so wrong that the average U.S. American woman is a size 16. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. she can't shop anywhere. That's crazy to me. So, you know, the, the brand values of what we're doing, like, yeah, sometimes if you're choosing your like your ethos and like what you are, sometimes it's maybe not the most financially like profitable in the beginning, but when you stand your ground and are true to like those morals and those ethos, like it pays off in the end, because that's what we are. We are, you know, it, it, for me, it was always hard, like at these lingerie shows where I was like, we're this company that was like, Hey, lingerie brands, you've done it wrong forever. Screw you guys. And then we go to these things and we're like, but don't you guys want to buy from us too? And they're like, no, there's a way that there's a method to how they've been doing it. Right. I get it. That makes money. Having all these SKUs may not make the same amount of money for you, but you, you got to be inclusive. So there's this like big, big balance of like staying true to who we are, being able to hit the bottom line and be able to make money for all parties involved. Is a, it's, you know, we're still navigating that and trying to figure it out, but all data and feedback and customer conversations is kind of where we, where we've gotten to in that. 
Which I think is incredibly important. I mean, you're a pioneer in this, right? So you are a disruptor in such a great way. And you are going to, you know, it's not necessarily, I, I guess, maybe like pushback, but just like lack of understanding, right? They don't see it yet. And so being able to stay true to your values, I mean, I cannot tell you like that is one thing for Chris and for Chris and I is we stick to our values of this company, like our clients, our subcontractors, like it is when we don't, we like immediately know, right? When, oh, yeah. when that, when that happens, you're like, I knew better. I knew better. So now that you have the physical store, what has that done as far as I, I actually want to take it a little bit different before we talk business is like okay. confidence. How has okay. that changed like confidence for you and Jay or, or just like seeing it? How has that changed you in, in this endeavor that you're on? I mean, it's, I don't even know if it's like something you can put words to like, it's so crazy. Well, number here, here's like a very basic level. So for someone that sells goods and does like a lot of like pop-ups or go to a market or whatever, right? Like you're there at 6am and you're unloading and then you're selling from eight to five. And then you're fighting everybody else and loading it back in your car. And then you have to go home and then unpack it all. So when you've done that for four years and then all of a sudden, like it's open and all you do is lock a door. It's an experience that like it's un like you can't even put words to how that feels of like oh my god my stuff is staying up no one has to pack it up people are coming tomorrow to buy some more like that is the craziest feeling ever so like what that does for your psyche for your confidence for your whatever like yes it's way more expensive to have a store and operate it absolutely but like what this does to like what feels possible is amazing right um I actually just had a conversation with, uh, with a mentor of ours that was like, well, it's really great. Like when you're in the business, right. And you're just doing this and you're thinking about this and how to make it work. It keeps you here. But when you like do the exercise of like, well, what is five years from now? You can make five years happen in two when every decision you're making is about here. So like for us, it was like, do we have, like, is is this the most financially sound thing to do right now for this business? It never is. Opening a store is never the most financially sound thing to do, but does it help you in this like vision for here? Absolutely. So like being able to have the confidence to take those risks, I think is incredible. And then also we have these amazing girls that work in the store too. And I'm, I'm zooming right now from my office. So like being able to work in this office and then hear them selling products and people trying stuff on and like in the fitting room and being like oh my god I'm so surprised this looks incredible it's like it's it's un, it's unreal what that does to like to your morale as a business as a person as a everything so yeah it's it's the last almost 20 years for you right yeah. like kind of summed up in in one store like it's so incredible hearing you talking about this and I hope if you are tuning in, you know, on your favorite podcast, you know, platform, great, but you can also see, like, see, just talk about this on YouTube. So we, we have this on YouTube because it is so neat. Her store is so neat. You can see a little peek through the window from her office and it is an incredibly beautiful, beautiful storefront. And just like truly demonstrates what the, what the brand is, which is incredibly important. Now, 
speaking of naked rebellion, like how did that come about? Cause it is so perfect. It is so yeah. perfect. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that that speaks to like my creative writing husband, who is like a genius in that. And I've worked for 8 million brands throughout my career. Right. So when we moved back here to Arizona in 2018 and then launched this in 2019, all we had was an idea, right? Like we kind we knew what we wanted it to, to have different skin tones and we knew what fabric to make it out of, but like, that was all we had. And, uh, we, we were like, were the recipients of this like, like designer in residence, I guess you could call it a scholarship. There was no money transacted whatsoever in it, but it was like a place to come and create. And it was in this like fashion incubator space, um, that they helped us like kind of sample make. So that was kind of how it got started. And so we had just had our second child, like I had mentioned. And so we were broke. We just moved here. We, so we could only afford a nanny two days a week to like watch the baby while the other kid was at school. So, so we would come, my husband and I would come, we had this like nasty basement office with like no windows. And it was like a terrible lighting. And we would like lock ourselves in there. And I was like pumping still, like it was the most unglamorous of glamour things. Um, but we sat there and it was like, okay, let's like get this brand identity. Right. And it was like, who's this customer? Who are we as a brand? Like the story of how we rebelled against everything, like what is it? And so we just threw a bunch of words together and made a bunch of words that like, what is this brand? And kind of like lived in it. We would drive here. We would all we would talk about, we'd have a shared notes and we would just like type these words back and forth. And it just one day we were like driving in the car and we were like, those are the words. That is exactly what this is. This is, there's no two words that could say what this company is besides those two words. Like we are, this is a naked rebellion. We're defining what naked is. We're defining what nude is, right? Like this isn't a nude shade. Like we embrace your body naked. Right. And the rebellion is like every, the lingerie industry up until this point, like it, all it's been is terrible towards women and toward pick each other apart. Like we're rebelling against everything that it stands for and what the future is. So that is, I mean, I wish I had like a more like cute story tied up with a bow about how it happened, but like, it was truly just like in this unglamorous, like nitty gritty of starting a business. But it was like, that. that's just the morals of what this business is. So that's, but that's how like, I, I love it though. I mean, that's how I didn't expect it any other way. Just like we started this whole, this whole conversation about talking from like when you had your first, you know, career to where you are now, it's never pretty. It's never linear. It's like no. you guys being in there, you're pumping Jay's, you know, using his creativity with words and you guys like came to it. Like, I love it. I love it so much. Yeah. I actually have never heard how like Naked Rebellion came, but it is so, so perfect. So perfect. Yeah, it's fun. We we even had like, when we were trying to figure out how many shades, like how, how do you know how many shades? Like that's so confusing, right? There's so many different skin tones. Um, so we had, I had my makeup artist friend come and bring her makeup kit and pull out the shades of makeup that she uses most often in set on sets. And that was like, we used those bottles and matched it to things that we could find. And that's how we figured out what to diet to. So like, truly it's like the entire, every bit of this company is from like our theatrical, like background. It's incredible. It is absolutely incredible. Well, I just have to say like, way to go. Like it's one of those things that I feel like we talked about that resilience muscle 
you've been strengthening that and all of these experiences to get to where you are right now. And so often when we feel like we're in those valleys or when we get fired on the spot for something that was completely out of your control, it's the ability to get back up again, you know, that is really going to separate success versus not. It's not always like the, the perfect line item to get there. It's being able to get back up again and again and again after each time, whether it was a success or a failure and keep going. Yeah, absolutely. It's cool. Right. And I mean, one thing that I think that Jane would, would probably say from in me too, what we're most proud of is like being true to like the, our core values, right? Like we're a community where women come exactly as you are. We love your body. Right. Number one, number two, like we've bootstrapped every bit of this company. Like there's no outside anything. Like we've been able to take it this far on our own. Um, and we're so proud of that, but also like, as I just had told you, we're talking with our mentors and like figuring out what's next, like we've got us here and now we see what's here. So now we're like, journeying into this like money raise mode and it's like so scary and so amazing and so everything at the same time but to I'm like we're just so proud of like what we've been able to do in four years which is seems crazy when three of those years were also a global pandemic <laughs> like no one was wearing bras and underwear so fun fact <laughs> to get people to buy it was super fun um yeah, no, it's, it's fun to journey into this, like, okay, well, what is next? What is your biggest competitor? And, you know, our biggest competitor just got valued at $3 billion. So I, it's the, the possibilities are endless. So it's kind of exciting to, to think about what's next. Yeah. Well, I'm going to tell you, there's a book it's called 10 X is better than is easier than two X. It's by Dan Sullivan and Dr. Uh, Benjamin Hardy. That one, I I mean, we're reading it right now. And that point that you're talking about, and even what you explained with the store, right? Like the store, it, it it's that 20% that was actually really important to get you to that next level. So if you would have stayed in the same space and operating in that 80%, you'd be getting the same results. This store right. is that 20% move that is going to uh, do exponential things for you. I cannot wait to witness, cheer you on. Um, before I let you go, there's one thing that I would love to ask you is if you were going to go start over and you've only been with like, this is four years, right? You moved to Arizona, raising a family, doing it with your husband, now a physical store. Is there one thing that you would have done differently to shorten up that time frame? To shorten the time frame from launch to right now? Correct. I, I probably would have explored, um, international manufacturing sooner. I somehow thought that our customer really wanted it to be domestically produced. And so we rent that route. And I can tell you that bras and underwear are not made domestically. So your product's not great here, right? Like, and, and I'm not saying that, like, I'm not poo-pooing domestic manufacturing, but for what our specific thing is, like, you need to kind of go where everybody else is made. And so once we made that switch, um, that was like, our product was able to be like the best bra we've ever put out. Right. So that was like, so I was kind of, kind of like I hitched my horse to something that didn't need to be a part of our core values early on, which was the domestic manufacturing. Um, and another like very tangible thing I would say is that I, we should have gotten a business line of credit early on. We waited too long to get that because that could have helped us 
in our cash flow part. So I would suggest anybody that's has a business bank account and is hearing this, go apply for a business line of credit. You only pay for what you take and you need it. You need to get that in place before you need it. So those are my two tangible things. I would um, okay. So a lot of it is like, who can help you, right? It's not always how to figure this out on your own. Like literally those two pieces of advice are, are you just became the who for someone else in helping them. And that is what that question was all about. So thank you for that. And I just have to like acknowledge, like since meeting you, it's really been so fun, not only getting to watch you, but just like, listen, I love like listening and seeing and your thought process and your intention and the things that you are doing and truly creating a rebellion within lingerie. It's so great to watch. Um, I just want to acknowledge you for that. Now, where is the best place for everyone to follow along with you? Well, if you want to follow along in all the crazy day-to-days of it, social media is awesome. Um, our Instagram, naked.rebellion. We're on TikTok too, which is Naked Rebellion. Um, website, nakedrebellion.com. Um, yeah, we're just doing a lot of fun stuff. But then if you want to come shop it in store and see all the other, like in the in-store is not just our products too. We have like our expansion into lots of other fun things and lots of women-owned businesses that are local to Arizona. So if you're in Arizona, you're traveling or you live here, come, come see us. We're in central Phoenix. Well, I know lots of listeners are going to be coming in because now it's finally not, you know, 115 out. So everyone's going to be coming in here and into Q1. You'll have to stop. I will link everything in the show notes. And I got to tell you too, when you follow them on social media, like talking about that customer journey that we mentioned, I recently bought a bra and I did it through Instagram. I didn't even go through the website, but I did through Instagram so easy. So everything that you have set up in creating that service for your clients or for your customers, I am witness it is working and and working nice. So we'll link everything there. Yes. It's all working great. I've been meaning to tell you and I'm like, oh gosh, well, now's the perfect time to just give a little testimonial. All right. Well, thanks so much. And don't forget if this, like, especially those last two little bits, I hope you stay till the end, but those last two tidbits, if you know someone that is in the product business, holy cow, that was enough to share this episode. And you can even point them to that last like five minutes, tell them to listen to that. Don't forget to tag us when you share it. And we will see you back here uh, twice a week.